Glenda Lehman Irvin here from Layman's. If you crave a satisfying, sustainable lifestyle, visit Layman's.com, where you'll find thousands of practical, efficient, non-electric products to help you live a simpler life. Find us online at lehmans.com. Small businesses routinely fail in every industry segment, but what causes small farms to fail? Hey, it's Tim Young of SmallFarmNation.com. Today, I'm going to share seven reasons why small farms fail so you can learn what not to do so that your farm thrives. So starting a business is a risky venture, right? I mean, we all know that. And it doesn't really matter what sector you start a business in. If you start a restaurant and an insurance or a law practice or a car wash or even a marketing agency, there's a pretty high probability that you're going to fail. That's just a fact. So don't argue with it. Now, let's examine the reasons why these businesses fail, because while they'll vary, of course, from sector to sector, from person to person, from location to location and from time to time. Drivers of business failure have a lot in common across all of those variables. And actually, the agriculture sector has a much lower failure rate after five years than most industries. For example, about 50% or more of agricultural businesses are still going after five years, whereas only about 35-36% of construction businesses make it that long. So the perception that some have that there's a high failure rate in small farms isn't borne out by the data. But survival isn't the same thing as thriving, is it? I mean, just because you're not dead as a business in five years doesn't mean that you're loving life. And I think one of the reasons that many farming businesses make it that long and go much longer is because they're subsidized. Not by the government, but by the farmer who is most often working a second job or the spouse is working a second job so that the farm can work. And that's cool if that's what you want to do. But again, that's more of a hobby farm and not really a farming business. And the point of this episode is to discuss why farming businesses fail and what you can learn from those mistakes. So let's dive right into them. Well, you don't know what you're feeding yourself. You just buy whatever's on the shelf. Okay, here we go. Reason number one that small farms fail. This will come as no surprise to you if you've listened to anything I've said or read anything I've written. Number one reason is they approach it as a lifestyle and not a business. You see, many people are attracted to farming because they love the notion of the lifestyle. They want to farm or grow produce or have a collection of animals, and they want to spend their days in the sunshine producing something with their hands and being out on the land. And that's great. But is that how you would approach a business opportunity? Is that the opportunity you'd pitch to an investor or a bank that you want to go work with your hands in the soil or have some animals? I don't think so. Of course not. Because a business approach means identifying the market first. And that's very different from what most farmers do, who start simply because they want to grow things. Or they want to produce things like soap, herbs, or cheese. So they kind of treat selling and marketing as an afterthought. Now, I've said this many times, and that's a mistake. A business is a business because it has customers that buys from it. So you always start with a market in mind for every business opportunity. 
that's always going to be the first question questions asked by an investor, by a lender. How are you going to make money? Now, there's an excellent publication for small farmers called Growing for Market. And the title means just that. Produce what the market will buy and that you can sell and sell at an attractive profit margin. That means focusing on high-value crops and products. For me, that was artisan cheese, raw milk, and grass-fed beef. But for you, it may mean cut flowers, herbs, soaps, or whatnot. But there are many farm enterprises that aren't high-margin or high-value. And that leads me into the second reason why small farmers fail. And reason number two is that they choose low-end market streams or just as commonly, they don't make a choice. They just start farming without analyzing whether it's a high margin profit stream. Now, in these cases, the math just doesn't work because the farmer chose either a low margin product or is targeting a very cost conscious consumer. And while Walmart can pull off that strategy, at least until Amazon buries them, that's only because they've achieved enormous scale efficiency and supply chain integration. And those aren't benefits you're likely to achieve as a small farmer. So it's real difficult in small-scale farming to make it on the price dimension. And let's be honest here. There's no business opportunity selling to people who don't have money. Or put more crudely, you can't sell to poor people. It's just a fact. So target opportunities with segments who do have disposable income. And select farm enterprises that don't have such a low barrier to entry. Because if you choose something that's easy and cheap to get into, even if you achieve some level of success, it won't be difficult for others to emulate that. So it's imperative for any small business to choose a business model focused on high profit margin enterprises that target customers who have the means and willingness to purchase whatever it is that you're offering. And that's doubly important for farmers. But how do you know if you're producing a high margin farm product? Well, that leads straight into the third reason. Reason number three that small farms fail is poor or, more likely, non-existent accounting. Look, as a farmer or entrepreneur, you got to wear many hats. We all know that. And it can be overwhelming at times. Hell, it is overwhelming all the time. I mean, ideally, you have an accounting background or can hire an accountant. But let's face it, most Small farm businesses, they don't do it. They may rely on a CPA for occasional help, like yearly taxes, but the day-to-day -day accounting falls in their own laps. And too often, they don't know what to do with it. So accounting is just as much an afterthought as marketing is. They don't set up proper systems for measuring everything and properly allocating overhead or fixed expenses. They just buy the feed, buy the seed, get to work, go to market, and hope they have money at the end of the month. You know it's true. So the farmpreneur doesn't know what the real cost of production is, what the real fully allocated profit margins are by product line, by customer segment, by go-to-market approach, and so on. They don't know where they should be investing more and where they should cut back. So the numbers are bad, and with bad numbers or no numbers, you're flying blind. For instance, I've mentioned before that we used to raise lots of heritage turkeys for the Thanksgiving market. And while that was a good entree into our other farm products, it was a pretty poor business. 
I mean, turkey poults are expensive. There's a reasonably high mortality rate, particularly on pasture. There's the brooding, feeding, and daily care for six to eight months before you get paid. Processing is always a nightmare. And then when you do get paid, it doesn't come close to an attractive margin. We convince ourselves that it covers our cost, but it doesn't. Not when you factor in the land cost, the opportunity cost, and the sheer time it takes. We get emotionally attached to these enterprises because, let's face it, we enjoy it. We like the work. But if you had an accountant push an analysis in front of you that showed how much money you were losing for all the time you put in and how much you could be earning if you focused instead on another enterprise, you'd make the switch in a hurry. And that's what good, solid accounting can give you. It can give you the intelligence to make intelligent decisions with your farm business. So don't make that mistake of not having good accounting, of not understanding your numbers so that you can make the best financial decisions for your business. Know your numbers in detail from day one. Starting a farm business is rewarding, but you know what isn't? Learning that profitable farming is only 20% about growing and 80% about marketing. But now there's an easy way to learn how to market your farm. It's the Small Farm Nation Academy, an online membership site with courses on everything related to marketing and growing a farm business. Courses like building your farm brand, website design, list building and email marketing, public relations, social media marketing, and more. Plus, Academy members get discounts on everything from hatchery chicks and electric fencing to cool bots and gardening supplies. So if you're serious about having a profitable farm business, connect with other farmers today in the Academy at smallfarmnation.com. That's smallfarmnation.com. Join today and get growing. Okay, here we go. Let's move on to the fourth and probably biggest reason small farms fail. And it's the same reason any small business fails. And that is that it's undercapitalized from the start. It lacks a cash cushion. Now, this is the reason why you need attractive profit margins. It's why you must have attractive profit margins because there's a cyclical nature to business, all businesses. And if you think your farm is recession-proof, you haven't been through a real recession. But even if there's not a recession, bad things can and will happen over time. You suffer the loss of a key restaurant or distributor. All of a sudden, there's the entrance of a new competitor that creates maybe price pressure or forces additional advertising investments on your part. Or the filing of a lawsuit because someone gets injured on your farm or gets sick from eating something that you produce. Believe me, I know I've run businesses where we had to settle lawsuits for absolute false claims, things that never happened, but it was cheaper than going through the process. This stuff happens, particularly in this country. And these things happen in any business. So a business has to amass enough earnings over time to weather these storms. And beyond business cycles, farming is impacted by drought, disease, storms, and other calamities. Now, I know many people want to get into farming and they don't have much money. I mean, okay, I get it. I hear you. But farming is a business like any other. And if you expect to be successful in any business, you got to have operating capital and cash reserves. If you don't have it, get it. And don't complain about it. We're all adults here. 
If you don't have money, go out and earn some and save it first because you're going to need it. Okay, let's move on. Reason number five that small farms fail is a lack of focus or they try to just do too much. Now, I do find that this is rather unique to farming. With other businesses I've started and run, you tend to be laser focused. I built a high-tech marketing agency that was focused squarely on offering a certain set of services to mid to large B2B tech firms. Very focused. And my wife and I also had a gourmet online fudge business for a brief period of time, but we didn't try to make anything other than fudge. That was the business, and it was killer fudge. But with farming, it's not only easy to venture into countless enterprises, it's almost like a drug. I mean, with livestock, you get some chickens, then you rationalize adding pigs, cows, sheep, goats, rabbits, even donkeys and geese to the mix. Before you know it, you've got a petting zoo. Only, you're not operating a petting zoo. And this goes back to the accounting issue of not knowing what's profitable and what's not. But it also goes to not treating the farm as a business, not starting with the market in mind. Now, the reason farms often make this mistake of trying to do too much is related to the next reason why they fail. Here it is. Reason number six is that they try to emulate another farm's success without understanding why that farm is successful and whether or not it can be replicated. Now, I have discussed this before, and the best example I know to illustrate this point is Joel Salatin at Polyface. Now, as you know, Joel is a very popular proponent of small-scale sustainable agriculture, and he and his farm are featured in pretty much any documentary on food choices and industrial agriculture. He's a prolific, opinionated, and inspiring author. He speaks frequently at conferences and events, and his farm doors are open, so to speak, so countless people visit his farm, and they fall in love with what he's accomplished and what he stands for. So starry-eyed, they rush back to emulate his model. And some do a fine job of pulling it off, but most don't. At best, they struggle and wonder why Polyface can get customers and run a profitable farm, but they can't. At worst, they just give up after a year or two and say it doesn't work. In other words, they don't understand why the model they're trying to emulate worked in the first place. Okay, in my view, the Polyface model, as an example, works today for three reasons. First, Polyface has achieved scale. They don't produce 100 chickens a year. They produce well over 20,000. Now, 20,000 is the maximum you can produce on a single farm, at least under the PL 90-492 exemption. So they lease other farms. And they don't have 10 cows. They have over 1,000. So that's a sizable grass-fed beef operation. So if you're going to set out to replicate some of that success, understand you'll need scale too. And that also means not being distracted by too many farming enterprises. Now, I've already discussed that as a reason why farms fail. Now, their scale leads into another reason they're successful, and this is a biggie. They're very efficient. They process chickens faster, cheaper, and more efficiently than the rest of us. They handle chores more efficiently than the rest of us, and they serve more customers more efficiently than the rest of us. But this is all a result of the scale they've achieved. And finally, the third reason is this, and I know I've said this before, but the third reason they're successful is because of the wonderful success Joel has had branding his farm. He's an innately effective marketer. So if you're going to get inspired and go out and attempt to emulate that model, ask yourself, 
can you achieve scale efficiency and the branding the way they have? Or if you're modeling after someone else, do you really understand their success drivers and can you replicate those? Now, there's another reason, too, that Polyface is successful, and we should really acknowledge this. It's easy to look at Polyface today and say, wow, I'd love to have a farm like that. Or look at White Oak Pastures in Georgia and their amazing success and say, wow, I'd love to be like that. But we're looking at the after picture. The before picture at Polyface was a lot of years of scraping by, not incurring debt, and tirelessly evangelizing about the farm's practices. Okay, let's move on to reason number seven, my last reason today of why farms fail. And this won't be a surprise to you. The reason is they make marketing an afterthought. And they make two big mistakes in this regard. First, they simply don't prioritize marketing until they have product to sell, and they, and they fail to understand how critical it is to build a strong brand for their farm. Now, as I said in episode 32, the time to start marketing your farm is before you start farming. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to understand why. Now, the second mistake related to marketing is this, and it's commonplace. When they do start marketing, their ideology gets in the way. They get so caught up in all their personal beliefs and values that they let that drive their marketing message. You know what I'm talking about. They say GMO is bad, industrial food will make you sick, and CAFOs are horrific. It's not only copycat language that we see everywhere that does nothing to differentiate their farm, but it's fear-based negative language. And fear is not a good way to get people to buy your products. Telling them that industrial food will make them sick or is bad for them, that won't work for most people. And this is a problem not just on farm websites. I see it all the time on Facebook, often when a farmer posts a link to an article and then goes into a diatribe about what's wrong with the world. That doesn't exactly inspire, does it? Now, imagine if the world's great marketers, such as Apple, did that. Instead of showing you all the amazing things that their products can do for you and how their products will make you feel or that you, what you can do with them, what if they only talked about how you'll have dropped calls with other solutions or that you'll have to carry a separate camera and that's a real hassle or that you'll need a paper map instead of a GPS, so buy our iPhone. They don't hammer on that stuff. Instead, they show you the life you can have, the joy and convenience you can have if you buy their products. So there's way too much negative language in the world of sustainable farming. But this creates an opportunity for you to be different. Instead of emphasizing what's wrong with the world, focus on why you farm the way you do and the joy, health, and connection your customers can realize if they support you. Show them with pictures. Tell them with emotive, positive words. Be inspiring. Because most farmers, they're not doing this. So the good news is that if you can market positively with a vision for positive solutions and change, it'll be music to people's ears and it will differentiate you as a farm business. Okay, Small Farm Nation, that's it for me in this episode. Remember, you can keep up with me and all my content at smallfarmnation.com. There's a link on the site to my free farm marketing group on Facebook where thousands of farmers discuss issues important to growing their farm and their food business. Of course, I'd love to have you be part of the Small Farm Nation Academy, and you'll find more information about that on my site also at smallfarmnation.com. 
As always, you can find the show notes from this episode on smallfarmnation.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or elsewhere. If you haven't already, please take a second to leave a review on iTunes. I read them all and I sure do appreciate it. Okay, until next time, here's to hoping you and your farm business get growing. Well, you don't know what you're feeding yourself. You just buy whatever's on the shelf. You don't care if it's full of GMO. And what's inside them, nobody knows. Cables to the left of you, right up to the right. Here I am out here farming for you. Yes, I'm out here farming for you. I just want you to know the truth My food is real and locally grown Just a few miles from your